Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you find me. I'm Dan, and I'm glad that you're joining me again for another episode of More Than Bread. We are on episode number 125, and and we're looking at Psalm 43, actually Psalm 42 and 43. So I'm, I'm not sure if this is Psalm 43 or Psalm 42 and 43 part two. Anyway, these two psalms go together. Some call them companion psalms. So they are companion psalms of lament. And and the way you know they go together is because of the common refrain, almost like a, a chorus to a song of worship, it, it happens in Psalm 42, verse 5, 42, verse 11, and then again in Psalm 43, verse 5. So listen for that as I read both psalms this time from the New Living Translation, first Psalm 42 and then Psalm 43. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Here's that refrain for the first time. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. But now, for now, the psalmist says, for now, I am deeply discouraged. But I will remember you, even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mitzar, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to the God who gives me life for just a moment. Let me say this word. I, one of the things I love about the Psalms is that they're they're not mostly, for the most part. They're not all good or all bad. It's it's woven through with both, which is what our lives are like. At one point, the psalmist is saying, I will hope. At another point, he, he's saying, you're, you're drowning me, God. At another point, he's saying, Lord, you pour your unfailing love upon me. All of it is there, right? Oh God, my rock, I cry in verse 9, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones, they scoff. Where is this God of yours? Here comes the refrain again. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. He continues in Psalm 33, declare me innocent, O God. Defend me against these ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust liars. For you are God, my only safe haven. Why have you tossed me aside? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. I'll praise you with my harp. O God, my God. Here's the refrain. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? You know, it's it's good to ask ourselves questions like that. We, We can't ignore what we feel, but it's okay to ask ourselves if our feelings align with reality. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? 
Are, are you discouraged? Is your heart sad? You're, you're not alone. <laughs> I know that doesn't necessarily make you feel better, but you need to know you're not alone. And, and in these few moments, I'm not going to try to sell you Jesus with a lollipop, a smile and a song. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. It isn't. Some days with Jesus hurt like hell. Some days with Jesus involve a refining fire, a ripping and a tearing and deep, painful healing. Some days with Jesus make me think I'm losing my heart. And some of you should be saying amen because you've been there, done that. Paul calls it losing heart. He uses that phrase to introduce my favorite prayer in Ephesians 3, and he, and he uses it twice in 2 Corinthians 4. Paul repeats the words, therefore, we do not lose heart. The psalmist is, is talking about losing heart. Paul repeats the words twice in 2 Corinthians 4 because, in fact, life can leave us feeling like we are indeed losing heart. Anybody listening want to lose heart? I mean, did anyone go to church last week and say, I sure hope we sing some songs and pray some prayers and hear a message that helps me lose heart? I really want to be discouraged this morning by what Dan says. No, we, we don't want to lose heart. But are we? Are we losing heart? I remember sitting in a funeral some time ago. The place was packed. And why was it packed? I mean, funerals are no fun. But don't we go at least partially because in the midst of the difficulty, we don't want to lose heart, but we feel like we might. We're hoping we can find something that will help us keep our hearts. Am I losing my heart? Are, are, you, are you discouraged? Maybe you're listening as a couple or half a couple and your relationship is on the rocks. You might say, I'm not sure my heart is in it anymore. Your heart is broken Maybe you've been so focused on yourself for so long, doing what you want, when you want, to whomever you want, and the fallout of filling your life with you is that people look at you and say, you're heartless. You've lost heart. Am I losing my heart? Is it a dream that's disappeared, a, a hurt that's turned bitter, an ongoing failure, an overwhelming fear? Maybe you've tried to accomplish something great for Jesus and you failed and you just can't understand why God didn't make it go better. Nobody wants to lose heart. We want to be renewed, strong on the inside. Life is full of ups and downs. We know that, but we don't want to lose heart. Paul writes, here's what it's like sometimes in the midst of life's journey. Here's, here's what's discouraging and heart draining. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 11, it's kind of like a psalm, but, but a little bit more, more hard-pressed. He, he says, Paul says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. You know, Paul strings together some pretty fun words, doesn't he? Hard-pressed, hard perplexed, persecuted, struck down. In the original language, those are all battle terms. Hard-pressed was a metaphor for hand-to-hand -hand combat. You've been pushed into a corner, out of wiggle room, no more options. But Paul says that when God's power is at work in and through us, even when we're hard-pressed, we won't be crushed. Perplexed means to be out of resources. It looks like surrender is the only option. But Paul says that when God's power is at work in and through us, even though we may be perplexed, we don't need to, be dis we don't need to despair. You may not see the way out, but there is a way. 
Madeline Langle, the author of A Wrinkle in Time, has a house in the Catskills that she and her husband often used as a, a refuge retreat from their apartment in Manhattan. And behind the house, she'd constructed this little garden with a bench near a mountain stream that, that she used for meditation, a place just to sit and listen to the healing sound of gurgling water and be at peace. One year, her daughter gave her an icon, a simple square painting of Mary holding Jesus on her lap. And Madeline took it up to the Catskills and erected a little alcove on the side of the tree in her meditation garden. It was, it was really just what, what that little retreat needed to give it a prayerful focus. So the next spring, she went up to open up the cabin with her husband as, as she was walking out to her meditation garden by the stream. She noticed that the icon was missing. As she searched further, she realized it was laying on the ground in pieces. Picking up the pieces and piecing them back together, she realized that the icon had been shot with a gun. Someone had taken out a pistol at close range and fired a shot right through Jesus and left the icon in pieces on the ground. Really, in some ways, not that big a deal, but Madeline struggled with that event because it was so characteristic of the way evil works. She wrote, it just invades our sacred spaces in our lives. It destroys that which is precious to us. Often it is anonymous, silent, and invisible. It just strikes out and makes us feel hopeless and helpless, like there's nothing we can do to protect ourselves, and and especially nothing we can do to protect those who are precious to us. The followers of Jesus had that kind of moment, right? Shot down and shot at, evil stole in to take something precious, and now they feel helpless and hopeless. This was the death of a friend and a leader, but it was more the death of their dreams, the death of hope, the death of a calling and a purpose in life. I mean, as surely as Jesus' body is in the tomb, life that once seemed free and full of possibility is now life restrained. The psalmist is writing, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. Couldn't the disciples say that? I walked among the crowds of worshipers leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I'll praise him again, my Savior, my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. The, the Hebrew word used for discourage is sakach. It, it means to be brought low or to bow down as in mourning or grief, to be humbled. Some translations use the word downcast. It, it's a low word, not a high word. My soul is drained. I, I've been brought low. If you've ever been in a low place, you know that part of what happens is that the story we tell ourselves goes low also. We have this running narrative that shapes our courage and discouragement and And so what does the psalmist say? It says, oh God, send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. And there I'll go to the altar of of God, to my God, the source of all my joy. I'll praise you with my harp, oh God, my God. Why am I discouraged? Why so sad? I'll put my hope in God. I'll praise him again, my Savior and my God. Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Usually when the Bible talks about light and truth, it's talking about our mind. What guides your mind? What we focus on, the story we tell ourselves, our narrative is what guides our mind. You know, we live in a culture that has become almost obsessed about what we put in our mouths. People spend billions of dollars trying to convince us they know what's best to put in our mouths. 
high fat, low carbs, high carbs, no fat, no sugar, grains and vegetables, fruit and yogurt, Atkins bar, slim fast shakes, nutri fast shakes, wheat germ shakes, Krispy Kreme donut shakes. <laughs> Just practicing hopeful thinking. But how much do we obsess about what we put in our minds? How much do we let the light and the truth of God guide us, shape our story, set the narrative? Our ability to live in hope is largely dependent upon what we feed our minds. When Paul said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, part of his message to us today is, if you're discouraged and cast down, if you're losing hope, you may need to change your narrative. You may need to tell yourself a new story. You are what you think. What are you putting into your mind? What light, what truth is guiding you? Andrew Murray um, was a missionary. Uh, he lived back in the 1800s. He lived from 1828 to 1917. So the late 1800s, early 1900s was his missionary days. He, One time he was discouraged and he decided to write some encouragement notes to himself. At the top of a paper he wrote, In time of trouble, say, First, God brought me here. It is by his will I am in this straight place. In that fact, I will rest. Next, say, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his child. Then he will make a tri the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. Finally, say, in his good time, he can bring me out again, how and when he knows. So I am here, number one, by God's appointment, number two, in his keeping, number three, under his training, and number four, for his time. That's just an example of changing the narrative. Why am I discouraged? Why so sad? I will put my hope in God. I'll praise him again, my Savior and my God. I got to be honest. I've had a touch or two of discouragement in the last few years. Sometimes I can contend for others, and it never seems to have an impact. And that's discouraging. Sometimes I wonder if we'll ever see a move of God that will amaze us. Sometimes I wonder if what we've heard about in the past will ever be part of our future. Will we ever be gripped by wonder and great awe like the people who watched a crippled man lowered through the roof and stand and walk with just a word from Jesus? Will what happened in the book of Acts ever happen here? Will we see a whole city transformed like the city of Ephesus? Will another prayer revival ever sweep our country like the one started by Jeremiah Lampfear 160 years ago? A million people became followers of Christ in just a few years. Will the days of Edwards, Whitfield, and Finney ever return? The days of D.L. Moody, Billy Sunday, the Welsh revival of the early 1900s, the Azusa Street revival started by an African-American holiness preacher? You know, most of us grew up in a time when Billy Graham was revered, but not necessarily in the midst of revival. But I'll tell you something, he changed my life because like millions of people around the world, my mom became a Christ Christian, a Christ follower at a Billy Graham crusade. And I just wonder, will those days ever return? Bring it closer to home where I live. In the 1890s, Will William Gilliland, affectionately known to the Penn State community as Bill Pickle, was working as a janitor at Penn State. On the side, he was supplying alcohol to the 1,400 students who lived in this small, middle-of-nowhere town. It didn't matter that bars were banned. The alcohol flowed free. A visiting official said you could float a battle tanker on the weekend. <laughs> One historian called Penn State the most godless university in the country at the time. 
Bill Pickle was one of the contributing factors. In fact, there's a bar in our town named after Bill Pickle. <laughs> then in 1911, Pickle met Frank Buchman. He had been called to lead the one and only campus ministry, the YMCA. There's this unusual friendship between the two men that influenced Pickle to become a Christ follower. He stopped drinking and started convincing students to do the same. Within a few years, it's reported that over 1,000 of the 1,400 students were involved in Bible studies. So many times I've asked him, God, will those days ever return? I came to Calvary in 1994. In 1997, after almost three years of a group of pastors just getting together to pray, we had our first Sunday morning United Worship Service at Eisenhower. People walked away saying, this is how it should be every week. And that ushered in about five years of amazing growth, not, not just here at Calvary, but in con- congregations throughout the center region. I, I could tell you story after story after story. And when I pray, I can't help but pray, God, would you do it again? But I'll be honest, even as I'm praying, part of me is wondering, will it ever be as good as it was? (laughs) So I'm asking God to change my narrative, to relocate my hope in him and in him alone. I'm saying maybe with you, send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. God, let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. And there I will go to the altar of my God, to God, the source of all my joy. I'll praise you with my harp, O oh God, my God. Why am I discouraged? Why so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for the hope that you give us. That, that even times when, when we feel beat down and confused and perplexed and, and even persecuted, that, that we do not have to be without hope. So again, like the last episode, I pray for each and every person listening. God, would you fill them with hope? Would you help them to change their narrative? Would you help them to relocate their hope in you, not in circumstances, not in their own abilities, but in you and you alone? Would you send out your light and your truth to guide us? Would you lead us to your holy mountain? Would you encourage our hearts and bring joy to our souls? Will you cause us to say with with a smile, even in the difficult days, why am I discouraged? Why so sad? I will put my hope in God. I pray that for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, the hope giver. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.